Oh, good morning, everybody. Let me uh, start by asking you a question. What's your ambition? What is it that you want to do with the rest of your life, achieve with the rest of your life? It's a, film, uh, it's a question that the film The Bucket List asked in 2007. There's a couple of characters in that film, and they, uh, they write down kind of a list of all the things they want to achieve with the few days that they have left in their lives. Maybe some of these things will resonate with you. Skydiving. It's not, not something you're going to catch me doing, I don't think. Driving classic sports cars in California. Flying over the North Pole. Eating in one of the most famous restaurants in the world with all the Michelin stars that it can get. Visiting the Taj Mahal and the Great Wall of China. Or going on safari in Africa. What is, it, what is your ambition? What is it that you want to achieve with the rest of your life? I've got a long list of places that I'd love to go and visit, to travel to and explore, and the kind of adventures that I'd like to have there on long-distance paths or kind of cycling tours or something like that. Maybe you want to earn a degree or get a promotion, get married, have children, maybe like the characters in the bucket list. You want to drive a sports car. Maybe you want to live in a bigger house. Maybe you want to play hurling for Galway. Maybe you want to run a marathon. Whatever it is, whatever your ambition is, whatever you want to achieve with the rest of your life, maybe there's a bigger ambition out there. Maybe there's something bigger that you want to try and fit your ambition into. And in this passage that Jason read for us a few minutes ago, we see that Paul's ambition, as he writes this letter, as he writes these verses, isn't linked to the ambitions of first century Middle Eastern or Roman life. He's not about getting a chariot. He's not about grabbing Roman citizenship. He's not about whatever the, whatever the ambitions of the day were. His ambition is linked to God's ambition and God's will. And you can summarize the verses that Jason read for us into Paul's ambition to see the gospel preached, to see the gospel preached in new areas, and to see churches growing, maturing, and battling in prayer. To see the gospel preached in new areas, to see churches growing, maturing, and battling in prayer. And so as we look in more detail at these verses, we'll see that Paul here is echoing the beginning of the letter as well, echoing, uh, echoing his opening to the Romans as he talks about his relationship to his readers and his hearers. And I want you to kind of notice with me four different things. Paul's ministry CV, his, his resume, why it is that the Roman church should be paying attention to him. Paul's gospel ambition. The need to balance outreach with care for each other. And that gospel prayer 
is a shared part of our ministry. So Paul's ministry CV, Paul's gospel ambition, the need to balance outreach with care for each other, and gospel prayer as a shared part of our ministry. So first of all then, Paul's ministry CV, why should the Romans be paying attention to this letter that Paul has written them? I love the fact that Paul, uh, in, in the opening uh, parts of this, this passage that we're looking at, he says in, uh, in verse 15 there, I've written to you very boldly. He knows that there is, there is stuff in this letter that is going to have been challenging to the people who have been reading it and hearing it. But even as he's written this letter, and he's written it boldly, telling them challenging things, telling them that there's issues that need addressing in their church, telling them that even, even though, and we'll, we'll talk about these things in a moment, even though he's giving them reasons uh, to be commended as a church, even they need a reminder of the gospel. He's written to them boldly to give them these reminders, to tell them that they need to be united. But Paul says, despite the fact I've written to you boldly, despite this, I'm satisfied with you as a church. I'm satisfied that you're full of goodness. Now the word there, it means kind of just moral goodness of any kind, the way that it's written. But I think we're supposed to also see an echo of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. So they're full of goodness, but they're also full of knowledge. And Paul says that because of their knowledge, what are they able to do? They're able to instruct one another. Now, again, we can take that word instruct and we can think, oh, that means kind of standing up here and teaching. But it means a little bit more than that as well. And the way that Paul is talking about it, it's about more than just kind of standing up and teaching. It's about when people need warning, giving them a warning. It's about admonishing them when they need admonishing. It's also about counseling when they need counseling. It's about being able to have conversations and build each other up. So Paul has written boldly, even though he knows that this church is full of goodness and full of knowledge. So why should they listen to the bold pieces? that Paul has written to them and challenged them. Well, notice, Paul says there in, um, in verse 16, I've written to you, in verse 15, I've written to you boldly, and then in verse 16, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul then is writing, he says, as a minister, as a minister of the gospel, as a minister of God, as a minister of Christ Jesus, specifically to the Gentiles, but we know that this church is made up of, of both Jews and Gentiles, and Paul has written to them boldly to ask them to be a united church, 
But listen to the, listen to the language that Paul uses about the Gentiles here. And this is about you and me, if we're followers of Jesus, as he talks about it. We're Gentiles. And Paul has gone in and says, as a priest, this kind of priest-like language, think about the Old Testament, think about the priests making their sacrifices. And Paul says, in the priestly service of the gospel, so that the offering of the Gentiles, the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Does that mean that Paul is going to go to, go to Rome, as he's written later on in the, uh, in the letter, and make sacrifices out of the Gentiles and offer those sacrifices to God? Of course it doesn't. But we saw earlier in Romans, didn't we, about living sacrifices, about living as sacrifices, holy, made holy to God. And here... Paul says that his ministry offers the Gentiles, offers those who the gospel has reached as living sacrifices to God. And so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified, made holy by the Holy Spirit. And listen, Paul says, I'm not proud of this. I'm not proud of the things that I have done, but I am proud in Christ of what Christ has accomplished through me, bringing the Gentiles to know Jesus. So Paul says, I've done this work, but I'm not proud of it, and I'm not, I'm not proud in and of the work that I've done myself. I'm proud of what Jesus has accomplished through me. And so I can write to you boldly, asking you to be a united church. And Paul says, that this has been accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around Illyricum, well, you might not know where Illyricum was, I didn't. Um, so he's talking there about churches in Israel and in Albania, if you can think of uh, kind of where, they, where that would be today. So the gospel has spread. And Paul is saying, through word and deed, God has used him. God has put power in him. And he has worked powerfully through Paul by the Spirit of God in word, in speaking, in teaching, but also through miracles as well. And we can read about those in Acts. And there's, there's times in Acts, chapter 14 and 15, where, where we can read that Paul was worked miracles as well. So Paul has this great ministry CV. It means that there's authority as he writes this letter. And so the Roman church being called to be united, it's Jews and Gentiles who have turned to Christ, should be listening as Paul writes boldly to them. And as we think about that unity, in the church that Paul is calling for. We think about what it is that, that a church offers us. What is it that we find as we, come to, as we come to church, as we come to Christ in a group together of people who follow Jesus? 
We find a new society, don't we? A new community together through Christ, working together for God's glory through us. How does that tie in with your ambition of driving a sports car or of winning the lottery or whatever it is? How does that tie in with your ambition? It's a big check to our ambitions and our thoughts of ourselves as well, isn't it? That Paul is talking about finding pride, not in the work that he has done himself, but in the work that Christ has done through him. And finding his pride in Christ and not in himself. It's not to my glory that I do anything for the church community, but it's for the glory of God's kingdom. And so we need to build each other up. As Paul said, commended the Roman church for doing. Filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Building each other up as we come to know each other in deeper relationships so that we can instruct each other as the Romans were instructing each other. So that we can teach each other so that we can warn each other where we see wrong conduct, so that we can give each other real, practical, real life, wisdom and counsel in our walks with Christ, so that we can grow as a church together, and so that we can further the ambitions of God in Galway. What is that gospel ambition? Well, Paul goes on in verses 20 to 24, talking about this. The gospel ambition to reach those who have not heard of Jesus so that they can acknowledge and worship him with us. Paul's ambition, he says, is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. Verse 20, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Where there is no church proclaiming Jesus as Lord, that is where Paul is going to go. That's what his ambition is, is to go and plant new churches. And so as we saw that he'd been talking about the churches in Jerusalem and in Albania, so we see that now he gives 3,000 miles of travel plans. If there were air miles in first century AD Mediterranean, Paul would be racking them up with this journey. Because he's going to go from where he is now to Jerusalem, to Rome, to Spain. from where he is, to Jerusalem, to Rome, to Spain. We'll think a little bit about why he's taking that detour to Jerusalem in a minute. But he talks about why it is he wants to go to Rome as well. This is, um, so he says, I, I want to come to Rome so that you can help me on my journey. And this is kind of standard. This is what the churches would do to provide material, provide logistical support for Paul 
as he wants to go away on his trip to Spain. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you, in verse 24, once I've enjoyed your company for a while. The trip to Rome has been delayed so far, Paul tells us in verse 22, by the ministry that he's already been doing. He's been wanting to do this trip for ages, to visit the, visit the church. But now he wants to visit them so that they can help him on his way, that they can give him the things he needs to get to Spain. You might think, why Spain? Is Paul just kind of looking forward to some time on the beach and, uh, and, the, and the hotels of, of Spain? But Spain was a key part of the Roman Empire. It wasn't, it wasn't a holiday destination. It was actually a key part of where the thought of the Roman Empire came from. Many Roman authors uh, were born in Spain, and so the, the kind of intelligentsia were there. It was where a lot of the thought processes that drove the Roman Empire came from. Also, some of the later emperors were born in Spain and came from there as well. Spain was a key strategic place for the gospel to go to because it would help from there to spread out across the empire as, as it uh, filtered in to thought uh, in the empire. So there's this long journey that Paul has planned to meet the gospel ambition of reaching the lost so that they can acknowledge and worship Christ. Have you ever done that? Have you ever acknowledged Jesus as your Lord and King? Have you ever heard that message? Maybe this is the first time you're hearing it, and if it is, we'd urge you to respond. We'd urge you to talk to us more about it. It's something that you need to respond to. And so if, it, if this is the first time that you're hearing that Jesus is King, and you need to respond to it, then, then talk either to Jason or myself after the service. But is it, is it your ambition, is it my ambition to reach out to people who don't know Jesus as it was Paul's ambition? That doesn't mean that we have to go on 3,000 mile missionary journeys. We sang, didn't we? Lead me in your love to those around me. There are plenty of people around me who don't know Jesus as Lord and King. There will be people in your family, maybe, who don't. My dad, for one. Is it our ambition to reach out to people who don't know Jesus so that they can accept him as Lord and King? Again, challenging our earthly ambitions. Challenging, possibly, even our ambitions as we serve God. Maybe we're more comfortable trying to serve God together here among the people who already know Jesus. Maybe that is where we feel most comfortable. But we still need to reach out to those who don't know Jesus. The gospel ambition to reach out to the lost so that they acknowledge and worship Jesus. So we've seen Paul's ministry CV, Paul's gospel ambition, and now balancing care and outreach in verses 25 to 29. Why is Paul not going direct from where he is now to Rome? Why is he going to Jerusalem first and then heading, heading off to Rome? 
Well, he's bringing, in verse 26, a contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem from Macedonia and Achaia. Paul has gathered together money, a monetary contribution to help the poor, poorer Christians in Jerusalem from the churches together in Greece, Achaia, and Macedonia. So what's a contribution? What does that look like? Well, the Greek word there for contribution is common share. Common share. Listen to the words of Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That was the common share. As they saw brothers and sisters in need, selling parts of their property and giving to the, to the, to the Christians in need. And Paul says, this isn't done grudgingly in verse 27, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. So the churches, as they do this, are pleased to give back to the church in Jerusalem. In particular, Paul says, for if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So Paul says that the churches that he's been working with in Greece and in Macedonia have shared in the spiritual blessings that came through the church in Jerusalem, the teaching, the spread of the gospel, what we were just talking about as we thought about the spread of the gospel ambition. Now, they share back what they have materially to the poor, the poorer in the church in Jerusalem. And so, then Paul says in verse 28, when therefore I've completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. So Paul is longing to be in Rome, but he has to, him, to impart the spiritual gifts that he has, the teaching that he has, but now he has to fulfill this obligation to deliver this monetary gift back to the church in Jerusalem. This is where it gets a bit hard, isn't it? This is where things might really hit home if we're going to live like this in terms of looking out for each other. Because it could hit our wallets. And how does that hit our ambitions, our earthly ambitions? Jason prayed, didn't he, that if anybody here is struggling financially, that it would be made known to somebody in the church. Just for a moment, think about how you would respond if somebody here this morning was struggling and it was you that they made that known to. How would you respond? Now, maybe, maybe that's not something that, that will ever happen to you. 
but it does talk about where our heart lies, about where our ambitions lie, and we have to think about that. Because this is how, this is how we're called to build each other up, isn't it? To give at, from ourselves. Maybe it's from our wallets, but also maybe it's our time. Maybe it's our energy. Maybe it's the gifts that we've been given. Because we are part of a gospel community. And so we need to commit to it and support it with our love, with the gifts that we've been given, and, when necessary, with our resources, our material resources as well. So balancing outreach and care for each other. And finally, Paul turns to gospel prayer as a shared part of our ministry. So, at the beginning of the letter, Paul talks about praying for the Romans. In chapter 1, verse 9, he says, I pray for you. How? Without ceasing. Without ceasing. Now, Paul turns the table onto the Romans and asks for them to contend in prayer for him. I appeal to you, brothers, verse 30, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. That word striving, Paul is asking them to exert themselves in prayer for him, which requires discipline, doesn't it? An energy, an earnestness in prayer. I have to say, this is really challenging for me because I am not that kind of prayer. I am not the person who is going to be stri striving like that. This has been a real challenge to me looking at that verse this week and thinking about how can I become more of a striver in prayer like that. We read it as well in, in Psalm chapter 1 at the beginning of the service in verse 2 about meditating on the word day and night. It's the same kind of thing, requires discipline, energy, earnestness. And Paul here in this appeal is making a formal request to the Roman church that through Jesus and by the Holy Spirit, they will strive, they will contend in prayer for him. And he asks them to pray that he will be safe in Jerusalem. Now, we know if you read through uh, Acts, if you're away and read Acts chapter 1, uh, chapter 21, sorry, you'll know that Paul has really good reason to ask for this prayer. The, the, church, the people in Jerusalem don't necessarily like Paul. And so Paul did make it to Rome. But if you read through the end of Acts, you'll see that maybe the prayer wasn't answered in quite the way that Paul was looking for. God kept him safe. God delivered him to Rome, but as a prisoner, not as a, not as a free man. And so, so the, the prayer was answered, but maybe not quite in the way they were expecting. So Paul prays for safety in Jerusalem, but he also prays that this gift that he's bringing from Greece and Macedonia will be acceptable, and that he may join them in Rome and be refreshed. 
while he's in Rome so that they can fellowship together and minister together. And Paul, Paul prays, by God's will, may your will be done to the Lord. And we'll, we, you can see if you read through the back end of Acts that it was God's will that was done. It wasn't just a simple answer to this prayer. God got Paul there, but not in the way that maybe the ambitions, the earthly ambitions, would have thought was the way that it would happen. And Paul prays as well then, at the end of this passage, at the end of the chapter, may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. He prays for the Roman church. He prays to God, the source and the giver of peace, for peace and reconciliation in the church, for unity in the church, which is his concern throughout the letter and through to the very end of it. One New Testament scholar, James Dunn, wrote, Paul, the Jew, who is the apostle, the minister to the Gentiles, says the Jewish benediction, a Jewish prayer over his Gentile readers and hearers here. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Is it our ambition to strive like this in prayer? Ole Hallesby, who was a Norwegian theologian, said to strive in prayer for a person or a cause means to live, feel, and suffer with that person or cause. That alone requires a great struggle. Is that my experience of prayer? Is it your experience of prayer? James Hudson Taylor, who founded the uh, China Inland Mission, said to move men through God by prayer alone. Was, was, was his target, his goal, to move men through God by prayer alone. And so, as we think about building each other up, deepening our relationships with each other, building each other up in the gospel, as we think about reaching out and spreading the gospel, as we think about caring for each other, balancing that care for each other, with our outreach. Are we striving in prayer for each other? Do we know how we can pray practically for each other? What our needs are that we can pray for? And do we strive in prayer for those around us who we're called to spread the gospel to and the good news to? That's been the challenge for me this week, thinking about striving in prayer like that. And that's just where I want to leave you this morning as well, to think about who those people that you can contend in prayer for are and how you can deepen your relationship with people in this room so that you can contend and strive in prayer for them as well. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, for, thank you for the example from Paul in that passage. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that he was so committed to you and to your gospel. We thank you that 
We thank you that he wanted to see the good news of Jesus preached to people who'd never heard it before. Father, we thank you at one point somebody told us the good news and that you gave us the opportunity to respond. And Father, I just pray that this morning the words that Paul wrote down, inspired by you, in that letter to the Romans would challenge us as they've challenged me this week. Lord, I pray that I pray that you would help us to deepen our relationships with each other so that we can, we can instruct each other in the gospel, Lord, through, through word and through deed, as Paul did. That we can teach each other. That we can warn each other. That we can encourage each other. And that you would give us wisdom to, um, just to help each other along the way, Lord with real and practical advice through the gospel. And Father, I pray that you'd lay people on us, on our hearts, who are around us, who we can reach out to, and you would give us opportunities to talk of Jesus, to talk of our, our love for him, and to talk of their need to respond to Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would teach us how to contend and strive in prayer for each other, Lord. And for those who, who we love, but who need to respond to you, Lord. Amen.